by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Psalms 145 verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Where have I heard that from? The Lord is good to all. He has compassion. Say compassion. Compassion. On all that he has made. Hmm. Compassion is a noun. It means concern for the suffering or misfortune of others. And I think if you you look at compassion in light of our God, God is not only concerned, but he does something about that concern. He puts compassion in action through his love. Love has feet on it, right? Love is a verb, and God puts a, it says it's a noun in the dictionary, but when it's applied to God, I believe it's a verb because God has compassion and concern for the misfortunes of others. You know, Moses asked God one time, let me see your glory. You know, he'd been talking to God, and the Bible says he was meeting him face to face, but it was like, it was, you know, the human form of God, maybe. Like Jesus would come down off in, in the pre-incarnate form, and, and, and Moses was meeting with him face to face, but one day Moses says, let me see more. Let me see you in the fullness of your glory. And God said, well, <laughs> you couldn't take it in that little earth suit you're wearing there. You'd be fried like a bug in a zapper. The holiness would fry you. You know, I, I'm just making this up. You know, some of the some of the language here, <laughs> taking liberties. But basically, he said you couldn't take it, Moses. But I will hide you in the cleft of a rock, and I'll cover you with my hand, and I'll pass by, and I'll let you see my hinder parts. I'll let you see the trail of my glory. Do you know God wants to reveal Himself to you? He wants to get you in position so He can reveal who He is. And in Exodus 34, 6, how does God reveal himself? It says the Lord passed in front of Moses and he called out, Yahweh. He called out his name. He said, I'm the Lord. And then he said, look at these nuclear bombs I got under my my wings. Look how powerful I am. Look how almighty and, and beautiful that I am. That's not how he revealed himself. He could have. Oh, he could have told us some. He could have set us straight about who he is, couldn't he? But what did he do instead? He said, this is how he wants you to see him. He said, I'm the God of compassion and mercy. He said, I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. And faithfulness. That's how God wants to reveal himself to us. Let's turn to Psalms 103 and we'll go a little deeper. Psalms 103, we'll start in uh, verse 8. 
Here it is again. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Why do you keep saying that, Pastor? Because the Bible keeps saying that. This is the third scripture I've shown you. This is how God wants you to see him. When he repeats something over and over, he really wants you to get it. He will not constantly accuse us, nor will he remain angry forever. Some of us just think he's an angry God. We're playing whack-a-mole with God. We're sticking our head up in this hole over here hoping he ain't fixing to hit us with a hammer. We go over here, well, where's God not? We're scared of God because we think he's angry at us. But he is saying over and over that I'm slow to get angry. I'm compassionate. I am merciful. Stop running from me. He does not punish us for all our sins, thank goodness, or we'll all be in hell right now. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Oh, yeah, we deserve it. Thank goodness it ain't about what we deserve in God's eyes. Thank goodness. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. We don't even understand. We can't even grasp the love that he has for us. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Somebody ought to be shouting about now. I'm telling you, we got a good God. The Lord is like a father to his children. A good, good father. Tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. And he remembers that we're only dust. He remembers our frame, that we're weak. He understands what we're going through down here. You know, he knows it's tough because he came down here. He experienced life as we did. Of course, he was without sin. He was setting the bar. You say, well, does God grade on a curve? (laughs) If he does, we're all on the same curve. But thank goodness he is gracious and compassionate and merciful to us. Slow to anger and rich in love. He knows what we're going through. He knows our struggles. Some of you say, but you don't know my struggle. It's this. And I always, I keep falling back into it. He knows. You say, why don't God take it from me? I I plead with God, take this sin out of my life. Take this this area away from me. I don't even want this. I don't even like this anymore. This addiction, this thing, this thorn in the flesh. But God says, my grace is sufficient, doesn't he? You know, he didn't say it would be easy down here. If he made it easy down here, we'd all be lazy, wouldn't we? We wouldn't get anything accomplished. I think some of us stay too comfortable as it is. Last week we talked about Noah, how he built the ark and how God wanted to save his family. And he got his family on the ark, right? Well, we're going to talk about a similar story today. It's the story of Abram and Lot. You may remember Abram as Abraham. He would later change his name. But what we're going to talk about today is God showed compassion to both Abram and to Lot. 
But we see two very different reactions to God's compassion. And we're going to see the results of those two different reactions. So we'll start where God called Abram. Abram was 75 years old when God called him. He was living, I think, in Terah. His father was named Terah, and he lived in Haran or something like that. And, and his dad died, and he said, you know what? You got everything. Abram had everything. He, he had his life set. You know, he, had, he was rich, and he lived in the land. He could have just lived out his days, but God called him and said, come away and follow me. Let me show you life. Come walk with me. And that's what God's saying to all of us at one point in time. He, he called us away from the home that we had made on this earth. He said, I got something bigger for you. I want to make you the father of many nations. Come follow me. And Abram obeyed God and he followed. And I guess he had an affection for his nephew Lot because he brought Lot with him, you know. And they went on a journey, and, and they followed God, and Abram would talk to God, and he would build altars to God, and, and he was following God with his whole heart. And because of that, blessings began to come upon Abram. And those same blessings came upon Lot, too. Do you know there's blessings for following and walking with the Lord? That's where they're at, isn't it? That's where the blessings are at. Sometimes we have our children, you know, we, we raise them, we make them go to church, and they complain, but they really love it. And once they've been made to go, you know, and while they're living in your house and following your rules and they're staying out of sin and their life is blessed, but then at some point in our life we have to make decisions for ourselves and our parents no longer make those decisions. And sadly to say, most of the time when... The teenagers leave the house, or today it might be the 30-somethings when they finally leave the house. But when they finally leave the house and they have to make their own decisions and they're not living in the house with Abram, so to speak, they're not living with someone who's following the Lord with their whole heart, they begin to see that, why ain't I blessed like I used to be? You know, people that, people that used to be in the church that said, I don't need the church anymore. Me and God are, you know, we got our own thing going. I'm sorry, but this is what Jesus is doing. He's building a church. And if you ain't a part of that, I don't know what you're a part of. And if you don't have the fellowship and the camaraderie and, the, and everything that comes from a, ch a local church, then you're not in the right spot. You're not walking in the blessings of Abram. You're not walking in the blessings of Abraham. You're not walking in the blessings that God wants to pour into your life. Brothers and sisters being one of the main things that you can do life with. Anyway, they're blessed, they're so blessed that they don't have room enough to receive it all. God has opened the windows of heaven, and they have more cattle than they can mix together. And Lot's got more family and servants and everything, and they're looking around. They say, we're going to have to split up. There isn't enough room for our blessings. And so Abram says, well, Lot, you look around, and you choose where you want to go. And I'll go the other direction. You have first choice. And Lot looked around, and he saw the lush plains of the Jordan Valley. He said, I think I'm going to go that way. 
And Abraham said, okay, I'll go this way. And he went towards Canaan. But the problem was is uh, Lot didn't just stop in the lush valleys of the Jordan River. He kept going until he got to a little place called Sodom. And it was a wicked city. And he said, well, I'm going to set up camp here. And that's what happens when we, we get away from the house of God, isn't it? We set up camp in the world. But Abram, he chose to continue to sojourn with God. He wasn't setting up camp down here on the earth. He had a bigger picture of what life is all about. Lot just, he couldn't see past the nose on his face. He's like, oh, that, that'll, be, that'll be comfortable to live in Sodom and just be like everybody else. I won't have to flow against any of all this stuff, these what do you call it, huh? You stuff. <laughs> and we got the same option today, don't we? We got the same options today. We can settle in with the world, or we can see ourselves as just passing through. Yes, we're in the world, but God has called us not to be of the world. God has called us to be ambassadors for a heavenly kingdom. And if you look in chapter 11 of Hebrews, where it's the hero's hall of faith, so to speak, where it talks about all the heroes of the faith, in verse 13 it says, they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on the earth. They were looking to a heavenly home. They had their eyes on heaven. They had their eyes on God and what his plan was for them. And they knew this place was just temporary. And they didn't lose sight or focus. And in turn, they found purpose and direction. They began to make a difference. And they became heroes of the faith. Well, Lot began to live in Sodom. Maybe he had good intentions at first that he wouldn't let the world corrupt him. But you know, if you lay down with dogs, you're going to get up with fleas. And if you're living in a dog-eat-dog world, you're going to get eat. And pretty soon there was... Some rift break out between four or five kings over here and, and the, a war happened. And the next thing you know, Lot's carried away captive. Him and his family and everything he owned. He lost all his goodies. And he's uh, carried away captive. Somebody ran and told Abram, do you know what happened to your nephew Lot? He got swept away in that war. And God says, well, that serves him right. Just let him die. The compassion of God. Stirred Abram, and Abram went with 318 men and defeated four kings in their armies, routed them. You know where the, I have learned where the compassion of God is, the power of God resides. When you have compassion on somebody, you're a, you have power of God. I have seen it time and time again. If you're just doing acts of good works without the love of God, you're going to be dry. It's not going to, it's, there's going to be no power. There's going to be no change. But the love of God, the compassion of God, if it's what's driving you, God is going to meet that with some power. I've seen it time and time again. And so Abram delivered Lot. And he gave all the people back. And King Sodom came and a whole bunch of stuff. Abram tithed. It was the first time anybody had tithed. He tithed to a priestly 
figure named Melchizedek. He trusted God. And see, God began to trust Abram. He changed his name to Abraham. He changed his wife Sarah's name to Sarah. He meant father of many nations. And so God began to make all these promises to Abram. Now, there were wild promises that an old man, you know, 80-something years old, and his barren wife, 70-something years old, can have a child. They never had one to this point. But God was pressing Abraham. And maybe he's pressing you to go deeper in your faith. It took Abram a while to get there. But he just kept walking with God and believing God. Yes, he made some mistakes. There was an Ishmael. But God even blessed his Ishmael in the end. You know, God just wants to see us moving in the right direction. And God is not pleased unless we develop faith that we believe he is who he says he is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That we believe his word and stand on it. Even if we're just saying it, just keep saying it until, keep praying it until it begins a reality in the inside of you. God is looking for faith. And Abraham was a man of faith. He said, look up in the sky, Abraham, as many stars as you can see, that's going to be your descendants. He says, look around, Abraham, to the north, the south, the east, and the west, as far as you can see, I'm going to give it to you. He's saying if you can have faith to believe, if you can see it, you can be it. Believe me, Abraham, for these things. And Abraham believed God. And the Bible says it was counted to him as righteousness. What makes you right with God? Because you're a good person? Or that you believe God? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47, it says, Adam, the first man, was made of the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, he came from heaven. You see, we're all born with the sinful blood of Adam coursing through our veins. We're all formed of the dust of the earth. But the good news is, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can all be born again into a new man. We can be born again into Christ, the heavenly man. And we can have a home in heaven. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I don't want to be that first man anymore. God cut blood covenant with Abraham. And he's cut a blood covenant with you. Our salvation is a blood covenant. He swore land of Israel to Abraham. And he swore a heavenly land to us. And what does he ask? He says he, he initiated the covenant. by The sign of the covenant was circumcision. A cutting away of the flesh. I don't know if I should have done that. But not just an outward sign, a cutting away of the flesh, a a circumcision of the heart. God wants you to cut away that old man, that Adam nature, 
And he wants you to live in this new Christ-given spirit that he has put in your heart. He wants you to believe like Abraham and do great and mighty exploits on the earth. He wants you in the, in the chapter 11 of Hebrews. He wants you to see yourself as a hero of the faith. Well, there were three men come to where Abraham and Sarah had set up their tents one day. One of them, I believe, was the pre-incarnate of the Lord Jesus. I have often explained that the Bible makes it pretty clear to me that Jesus would come down before he was ever born as the baby in Bethlehem. He would come in a pre-incarnate form. Uh, and the t other two men, we will find out later in the story, were angels. Now, you read these stories for yourself. Don't take my word on it, okay? It's, I think it starts in Genesis chapter 12, where I'm preaching from today, through verses uh, chapter 19. So I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing all of this. You know, I'm just getting to the points that I want to make. But I, your homework would be to read Genesis chapter 12 through verse 19. The, the, if you've got time to go through the Word of God, it's much more powerful than me storytelling, you understand. Anyway, they came, and they were walking past where Abraham was, and he saw him, and he recognized his Lord. He recognized, and he said, come eat with me. Come have a meal with me. And you know, Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, look, I stand at the door and knock. He said, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. That is God's desire. He wants you to be his friend. And here you're playing whack-a-mole with him because of your misconceptions of who he is. You're running from God. He's knocking at the door. But most Christians even won't open the door. I don't know. I guess they're wondering if they'll be embarrassed in front of all their friends in Sodom or something. But Jesus wants to be your friend. He wants to eat with you. In fact, he is in us as believers. And we walk around and don't even acknowledge that he's there. He must be scratching his head. I don't think they get what I came to do. Christ in us. Can you put that discipleship wheel? I think I put a, a graph on, on the thing. There it is. Y'all see our banner back there. It's usually back there, but I just wanted to show this. We call this our discipleship wheel because it's just a basic graph showing what we're trying to accomplish, the, the process of making a disciple simplified. And if you see people moving from box to box, if you see movement, then you're seeing growth in the people, right? So at the top, you, the first thing, you've got to know God or you're not going to be a disciple of Jesus at all, right? So you've got to be saved. You've got to know God. Then, once you know God, he begins to work. He sends his spirit into your heart, right? Crying, Abba, Father. He begins to deal with us. And we begin to find freedom from our sins, right? Well, we're supposed to. We begin to find freedom. And then if, if we get to a place where we can stop concentrating on us and we're walking closer to holy than we ever have before, then we start thinking, hey, what's the purpose of all this? You begin to realize you were created with purpose. You were designed for a purpose. 
And you begin to say, how can I make a difference with this purpose? You begin to make a difference. Before you know it, you're inviting somebody else to know God, and the circle starts all over again in somebody else's life. But the problem I see in America is that people, I guess they get saved. They go to church on Sunday, but they never get past finding freedom because they're playing whack-a-mole with God. They're just like the sinner. They want to stay in their sin, and they're hiding from God, and they're going, I'm sorry, God. They'll come to the altar every now and then. They're back and forth, back and forth, but they never find true freedom. They don't open the door to a relationship with Jesus. So as we pray for those lost loved ones that you've written down on your sheets this month, as we invite them to church, and, and we're not just doing it this month, right? We're, it may take some of them longer than a month. We're going to believe God for their salvation. But as we do, we know certain family members or friends that we have that confess Christ but have never moved past that stage. Let's begin to believe God for them. That God will take them to the next step on the discipleship wheel. Maybe they're discovering their purpose. Let's pray that God will give them an opportunity to make a difference with their purpose. And those who are making a difference, let's pray that God blesses them to be very fruitful for the kingdom of God and bring others to know God. We're doing the work of the ministry. Well, Abraham invites the Lord and the two angels in and they have them share a meal together and then they get up to go and they're walking away and Abram, it says, is walking them out. You know, he's walking them. I kind of get the impression that I know if it was me, I'd be like a little puppy falling behind Jesus, you know. I, I, he'd have to shoo me away, you know. I'd be like, I'm going with you, Lord. I'm just going to go as far as you let me go. And he's walking with the two angels and with the Lord and the Lord turns around he probably glances at Abraham. He looks at the two angels and says, Shall we hide from Abraham that which we're going to do? Isn't he, my friend? Of course, I'm paraphrasing again. Read it for yourself. I tell it the way I tell it. Should I hide this thing that I'm about to do from my friend Abraham? And so he tells him, The sins of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns have come up to heaven with their stench. And I'm coming to see if it's true because it is, if it is, I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to rain fire and brimstone out of heaven and destroy the wicked. Abram, well, he's Abraham at this point. He says, Lord, if, 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 I, if I might, he's, he's unsure, can he speak in the presence of the Lord? You know, he's, if you would allow me this one thing, Lord, I know your character. I know who you are. I know how you've treated me. Once again, paraphrasing, just telling the story. Read it for yourself. Lord, I know your character. I don't believe that you would destroy righteous people with the wicked. Lord, if there's, say, 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, 
would you still destroy it? And the Lord says, no, if I find 50 righteous, I won't destroy it. He says, well, Lord, if I may just speak one more time. What, what if there's only 45 righteous? Would you destroy the city if there's 45 righteous? No, I'll spare the city if there's 45 righteous. He does this all the way down to 10. I don't know why he just don't go there first, but he's testing the water. And he finally gets to 10, and I guess in Abraham's mind, surely there's 10 righteous in a whole city, but there weren't. But he said, if there just be 10, would you spare the city? And the Lord, you know what he told him? This is the heart of Jesus. If there's just 10 righteous, I'll spare the whole city. And you think you're being righteous doesn't count for anything? God may spare a city because of you. Anyway, the two angels went on into the city of Sodom, and they were walking around in the court, and Lot recognized them. You know, he's compromised. Yeah, he's living among sinners. His soul is vexed. His, but he's still, something inside of him still recognized something holy. And he says, guys, come come stay at my house tonight. They said, we'll just stay here. No, come, you got to come with me. So they go to Lot's house, and they no sooner shut the door and ate a meal together that somebody's banging on the door, and they're screaming out to and it's, it's all the young and old men, all the men of the city have gathered outside of Lot's door, said, send me those two men that you brought into your house that we may have sex with them. Lot went to the door and he st- closed it behind him. He said, gentlemen, gentlemen, please. These men are my guests. Don't do this wicked thing. And he pleaded with them. They were arguing with him and calling him names and stuff. He says, look, I got two virgin daughters. I'll bring them out and you can have your way with them. You think that's better, Lot? Lot has lost his way. Lot has lost his compassion. That he would give his own daughters to these wicked men? Well, the angels... (laughs) They snatched him up and put him in the house and bolted the door and caused blindness to fall upon all those men out there. Thank goodness. The angel said, Lot, you got any friends and family? You got to get them out of here. You got to go tell them. In the morning, we're nuking this place. And so Lot went and he told his daughter's fiancés, listen, guys. God is fixing to rain fire and brimstone down on this place. He is serious. Judgment is coming. How many of y'all know judgment is coming for the wicked? It is coming. Just like in the story of Noah, God is showing us. These stories are taught for our example who live in this time so that we can look back. And God is trying to save us. And they laughed at Lot. They thought he was telling a joke. <laughs> oh, man, you're crazy. Ain't nothing going to happen. My grandparents used to say that kind of stuff. You know, ain't nothing. Things just go on as they always were. We, 
working and getting married. We're going to get married in a couple weeks, you know. They laughed at it, laughed him to scorn. Lot had not only lost his compassion, not only lost his character, he had lost his credibility. You say, my sin ain't affecting nobody. Well, then stop telling everybody you're a Christian. Don't lose your credibility. I don't know about you, but my credibility is important to me. My integrity. Even what I do when nobody else is looking, I keep an eye on myself because I know God is looking. And I want to walk in compassion and I want to have credibility when I speak to someone else that they will listen. And they won't think that I'm telling them that judgment is coming. They won't think it's a joke. In Genesis 19, 16, it says, the next morning, Lot hesitated. And the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. For the Lord was merciful to them. Say merciful. I mean, don't make God have to grab you by the hand and pull you out of, out of the world. He would if you'd allow him. But anyway, they get out on the plains and they're leaving the city and the angels are saying, come on, don't look back, let's keep going. And fire and brimstone began to rain down on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns that were all in, wicked with sin. And Lot's wife was lagging along behind, longingly thinking about her, her stuff and her house and her, her way of life and the world that she had melded into, and she looked back. And I guess one of those big old brimstones must have hit her smooth in the head and turned her into a pillar of salt. Somebody was telling me the other day, I think it was Jason, that there's the area over there where they find brimstone rocks this big and you can light a match and they'll just burn and burn. Somewhere over there, there's a big rock, just Lot's wife. <laughs> in Genesis 19:29. It says, so when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. That's odd, because Abraham didn't live there. I thought it was Lot that lived there. But it says that he remembered Abraham. And he brought, brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. But he did it for Abraham's sake. Now, we can't get somebody saved for our sake. But God will certainly have compassion on our family members. He will certainly listen to our prayers if we're his friends and his fellow partners in compassion. So you see the two differences of how people respond. Did Lot not receive God's compassion? The same blessings at the beginning? The same mercy. Abraham received God's compassion 
And he welcomed it. He rejoiced in it. And he shared it with others. But Lot took it for granted. Didn't mean anything to him. He just, you see people today, they just complain about everything in the world. They never once stop to think how blessed that they are. And Lot took it for granted. I didn't want to say this, but I wrote it down. He chose a different lot in life. <laughs> so how do you respond to God's compassion? I'm going to make a bold statement. But before I do, Luke 6.36, Jesus says you must be compassionate. He didn't say you ought to be. He said you must be compassionate, just as our Father is compassionate. And compassion comes from a Latin word, compati, which means to suffer with. That their pain becomes your pain. Are you willing to be in pain for someone else? Are you willing to travail in prayer? Are you willing to give of yourself at all? For the sake of others, that is compassion. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says of God's, God's compassion, he says he's long-suffering towards us. I know you just want to take Uncle Bubba's by the neck and, sh- and shake him and wake him. Maybe you have children that you, you want to do that too. But God is long-suffering with us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that we should all come to repentance. That's why he hadn't came back yet. He's trying to give us time to be compassionate on this hurting and dying and ignorant world. He's trying to give us time to be the light of the world in this darkness, some place that they can run to, a lighthouse of salvation. And how we respond to God's compassion determines the course of our life. I guess that's the statement that I was trying to get to. Now, this this whole message could be summed up here. How we respond to God's compassion will determine our outcome. You know, Lot may have been in the service today. If he were here today, maybe, maybe you're a Lot. Maybe there's big lots. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe if Lot was here today, he would have heard this preaching. He said, huh? how does that affect me? Nah, don't. You know how Lot's life ended up because of his response to God's compassion? He ended up wifeless. He ended up a drunk. He ended up impregnating his own two daughters. You say, what? Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. I think it's around Genesis 19, maybe 20. Incestuous sex with both his daughters and impregnated them both. One had a, had a son named Moab and another one had a son named Ben-Ami. And they became the leaders of the tribes of the Moabites and the Ammonites, you may recognize those names because they were enemies of God's people, Israel. But Abraham, 
On the other hand, his children became, became the patriarchs of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes that came from Jacob. God's chosen people. I believe if Abraham was in this congregation listening to this message today, he would say, give me that sheet of paper because I got some names I want to write on it. Man, when I leave here, I'm going to hit my knees and I'm going to pray. I'm going to figure out what I can do to help somebody. Like Jesus, he was willing to lay his life down for his friends. With 318 men, he took on four kings. God called him a friend. And all God's promises to Abraham came true. He became the father of many nations, the father of the faith. Why? Because Abraham invested his life in God's compassion. And his compassionate plan to save the lost, especially in his own household. Do you want to know why God chose Abraham? Was it just at random? He just picked somebody? Well, if he'd have done that, we'd have been in big trouble. Genesis 18, 19 tells us why he chose Abraham. For I know him. Does God know you? You say, I know about God. No, I'm not talking about that kind of no. I'm like, like you know your wife. Like you know your husband. God says, I know him. And that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord. And do justice and judgment. And that the Lord may bring on Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Abraham was God's partner in compassion. And our Lord Jesus is still so compassionate in this world today. When he was on the earth, he was full of compassion for the crowds that were like sheep without a shepherd, for the sick, for the hurting, for the downtrodden, for the lepers, for the widow whose son had died. He had compassion and rose him from the dead. He told us the story of the compassionate Samaritan. And he says, go and do likewise. This is what it means to be a neighbor. Have compassion. Philippians 2 verses 1 and 2 says, is there any encouragement for belonging to Christ? I say there is. Is there any comfort in his love? I know there is. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Praise God, there is. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? They will be if you let him in. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose to be compassionate in this dark world. Let's be God's faithful partners. What do you say? for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.